Transcend all the reason of man, but the things that 
Amen. I hope, um, I hope you'll cling to that cross. I know we all need to. Amen. Well, take your Bible. Turn over to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. <clears throat> I walked in this morning and uh, a little earlier than, um, well, earlier than 10 o'clock, but I got in here a little early and nobody was in here and I thought, man, I got to familiarize myself again with this place. It was like I've been gone forever. <clears throat> man, I mean, wow. But uh, it all looks normal with the exception of your faces. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not supposed That was bad, wasn't it? I, I shouldn't have said that. I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. I... <clears throat> Well, let me just tell you this, okay? <clears throat> one, balmy, one balmy day in the South Pacific, there was a Navy ship, and it saw some smoke coming from, a, uh, coming from an island, an uncharted island, actually, and it made its way toward the uncharted island, and when it arrived near the uncharted island, it saw, it saw smoke coming from one of the three huts that was on the, the island. 
And upon arriving at the shore, they met the shipwrecked survivor. And that survivor was so happy to see them. He said, I'm so glad you're here. I've been, I've been here all alone on this island for more than five years. It's so good to see another face. The captain said, well, if you're all alone on the island, why do I see three huts? He said, well, so I live in one and I go to church in the other. Well, what about the third hut, said the captain. He said, well, I used to go to church there. Yeah. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. I did that so you'd forget about my mistake earlier, okay? <laughs> Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 8, a familiar passage in many cases. Some may have never heard it ever. Maybe you've never read this passage. You've never heard it read. But then again, you may have heard it a number of times if you've been in church for years and years. It goes like this, and... Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. He laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips. Thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Father, we come to you and we ask that this morning you'd speak to our hearts through your word. Every day we need your word. Every day we need you. May you speak to us today. In this place, as we gather corporately together, I pray that you would walk these aisles and bring conviction to hearts and lives, that our hearts, our lives would be transformed and changed as necessary and needed. Lord, may we be sensitive to your Holy Spirit and may you just be moving and working in each of our lives. I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. I desperately need you this morning. I beg you to use me as your mouthpiece. You stand in my shoes. and May I simply be an instrument in your hand. God of heaven, may you just speak to each heart again through your spirit, through your word. May their ears be anointed that they may hear with spiritual ears. May we leave here different for having come today, Lord. We'll thank you for the work that you'll do in our lives. We thank you for your grace, for your mercy and your goodness. Bless us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> king Uzziah in the Bible was one of the good kings of Israel. We often talk about Israel, but the truth was is at this point, Israel had been divided. A divided kingdom had come into play, and so now we have Israel and we have Judah. The truth is, is that Uzziah was the king of Judah. 
There were a number of kings in, uh, in Israel, but those kings were all bad kings. Judah, however, had some good kings. One of those good kings was Uzziah. Uzziah, he was a young king. At the age of 16, he took over the kings, or the reigns, if you will, from his father Amaziah. And there he began to minister to a nation that was in need. Although his daddy was considered a good king also, his daddy had made some bad decisions later in life, as we're going to find that even Uzziah would do. But Uzziah was 16 when he took over. Because he was so young, when he began to reign, there was a, a, a man of God, the name of Zechariah, who ultimately would come alongside and guide him and give him leadership and help him in decision making. And as long as he was faithful to the Lord during the days of Zechariah, God would continue to prosper him. Even after the days of Zechariah, as long as he lived for God, as long as he served the Lord, as long as he was willing to obey the scriptures, God would bless and God would prosper. It is said of this king that he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah did. And again, God made him to prosper. As long as he sought God, as long as he focused on God, he prospered him. In 2 Chronicles 26, 5, the Bible says, And he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. As long as he sought the Lord. I guess a, a question could be asked, are you seeking the Lord today? Are you searching for him? Because if you are, that God will and wants to prosper you. But unfortunately, if we aren't, then what's the alternative? King Uzziah, again, sought counsel and guidance and was very wise as a young man to do so. And God blessed him. The Bible tells us that King Uzziah was basically, or really was a very intelligent, a very innovative king. And it was under his leadership that Judah truly prospered. In 2 Chronicles 26, turn there if you would please. 2 Chronicles chapter 26. We're going to look at verses 8 through 10 and then a couple other verses to give us the background of Uzziah. But notice this king. What an amazing king he was. An unusual king, really. 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verses 8 through 10. This young king would rule for 52 years in Judah. And it said of him in 2 Chronicles 26, beginning in verse 8, And the Ammonites gave gifts to Uzziah, and his name spread abroad even to the entering in of Egypt. For he strengthened himself exceedingly. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the turning of the wall and fortified them. Also, he built towers in the desert and digged many wells, for he had much cattle, both in the low country and in the plains, husbandmen also, and vine dressers in the mountains, and in Carmel, for he loved husbandry. It goes on in verse 15 to say, And he made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones withal. And his name spread far abroad, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. And this was an amazing young man, an amazing king. And God was blessing him and God was prospering him. Unfortunately, after the death of Zechariah, Uzziah would make some mistakes along the way. 
King Uzziah's fame and his strength led him to become somewhat proud, it would seem. Let it, it ultimately led to his downfall. In chapter 26 again, verse 16, notice what it says. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. I just want you to think about that statement for a minute. When he was strong. It wasn't when he was weak. It was when he was strong. His heart was lifted up to his destruction. Come on up here, brother. Yeah, I'm pointing right at you. There you go. Come on up here. This is a young man right here. You know, we look at young men and we say what? Man, they're so fortunate. They're in their youth and they have all their strength. He's only going to get a little stronger along the way. Matter of fact, until he's probably about the age of 30, he'll continue to get stronger. And then once he hits his mid-30s, for the most part, he'll begin to decline in his strength to some degree, unless he's unusual like me. <laughs> but, but this young man here is, is, is strong. And you know what the danger is? Is in that strength, pride can kind of take root and take hold in his life. And I say it's probably not the man that's 70 years of age and has no health that takes pride in his health. It's going to be the young man that thinks he's indestructible. Now listen, I just want to, to, to warn some of our young men. Look at me, young men. Look at me right over here in the corner. Yes, you guys. Look right at me for a minute. You better be real careful because you have nothing yet. To pr- you've proved nothing in life yet. But let me tell you, because you're young and you have your strength and you have what you've believed to be a long future ahead, you can become arrogant, prideful because you're in your strength. You can still jump and run and do all the things that many of the older people can. You kind of think it's funny that they can't. But let me tell you something. If you're not careful, that becomes an element of pride in your life. And listen, we understand. You may sit. We understand something about pride. And I'm not trying to pick on our young people. I'm telling you that can happen in all of our lives. As we see here in this particular passage, he tells us in in verse, again, 16, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. And we have to be careful about our strengths. The very area that you're strong in can become the area you become arrogant and prideful in. It becomes the area of your destruction. Your greatest strengths become your greatest weaknesses. That's true in my life. It's true in yours as well. And it goes on, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. You say, well, what's the big deal? He's the king. He can do whatever he wants. Not in God's economy, he can't. He has a role to play, a responsibility to perform. He's not permitted to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he chooses. Every last one of us in this life have to abide by God-given roles and responsibilities. And in this case, the king overstepped his boundaries. He offered incense on the altar. That was something that only a priest was permitted to do. And by attempting to do this himself, Isaiah basically was saying this, I am above the law of God. Now, I know that he was 16 when he began, and I understand that he had a prosperous career. I realize that he aided and helped Judah to become one of the greatest nations on the face of the earth. I understand the role that he played and the the responsibility that he had. But may I say that in this particular case, all of that success and all of that seemed to build up to make him prideful. It, 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 It created a root of pride in his life. And ultimately, he felt that he was above the law of God. 
all the successes, all the victories, all the notoriety, all the fame had gone to his head apparently. And humility was lost and pride had taken root. You know, 80 courageous priests would gather, led by a priest by the name of Azariah, to confront the king in his misdoing. But the king, instead of acknowledging his guilt, instead of admitting his fault, he would become angry instead. In verses 19 and 20 of chapter 26, we read, Then Uzziah was wroth and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priests, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. I wonder if he wouldn't have got angry at the priests. I wonder if he'd have simply heard out the priest. I wonder if he'd have just simply said, you know what, you're right. You know what, I overstepped my bounds. You know what, I, I took too much responsibility on my shoulders. You know what, I didn't fulfill my God-given role. Instead, I stepped into yours. I'm so sorry, I failed in that area. I wonder if he'd have got leprosy. Well, we will never know. What we do know is that he was wroth with the priests. As a result, the Bible says... He was wroth and had censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priest, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead and before the priests in the house of the Lord and from beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest and all the priests, looked upon him and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. They thrust him out from thence. Yea, himself hasted also to go out because the Lord had smitten him. Do you realize that from that day forward till his death, King Uzziah was a leper. He lived in a separate palace. He was not allowed to enter the temple of the Lord. And his son, Jotham, would govern the people in his place. Fifty-two years. What a tragic end in light of the glowing life he led. So we come to Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. In the year that King Uzziah died, I also saw, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. I'm sure that the mention of King Uzziah's death is strategically placed there by God to solidify and identify the time in which Isaiah, his prophetical ministry began. i got to believe that. But I also believe there's a little more to that. A little bit more there than simply that alone. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, Isaiah says. I guess... What I want to share with you this morning is simply this. How to see God high and lifted up. How to see God high and lifted up. I don't know about you, but it seems to me that the picture of God in the minds of most people is somewhat waxed and waned from what it used to be. It's not nearly as polished as it used to be. It seems to me today that we have a pretty low image of God, that we limit God. We've somehow placed him in a box. We've somehow 
limited his power and his strength and his person. We somehow have brought him down to earth and made him fit in our minds somehow and made him fit in our worldview and our concept of what and who God ought to be. I think today it's important that we see him high and lifted up because that's exactly what he is. So how do we do that then? First of all, let me say we need to focus on him. We need to focus on him. Again, Isaiah, if, if from the passage, would not see the Lord high and lifted up until the death of Isaiah. You say, what's the, what's the significance of that? Why do you think that's even important? Well, again, I believe that King Uzziah, having such a successful and prosperous time in Israel for 52 years, and his daddy, even before that, it seems, was very prof- helpful to, to, to Judah. Excuse me, I keep using those words interchangeably. But to Judah, it seems that for all those years, it could possibly be, could it not possibly be, that somehow the people of God had become somewhat dependent upon their leader. That just maybe because he had done so many innovative things and so many wonderful things for Judah that he had somehow put them on the map that other nations even were coming and honoring him and elevating him and, 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 and bowing down to him, if so to speak. Maybe they themselves said, you know what, we have a king and that king is sufficient and that king is meeting our needs and that king is providing for us and that king ensures our prosperity. Our economy's doing well. Our politics are doing well. Our society's doing well. Things are going good. Thank you, king. Could it be that under his leadership as a nation, experiencing great progress of technology, political, economic progress, that somehow, some way, they saw King Uzziah as their hope. They saw King Uzziah somehow as their savior. But when King Uzziah dies, could it also be possible that Isaiah and the people have nowhere to look but up? How many times have you and I been guilty of looking to someone or something to provide us with rescue or resources? To provide us with purpose or passion. To provide us with hope and happiness. It's interesting in our Constitution, the only thing that is guaranteed is the pursuit of happiness. Not happiness. And yet it seems to me today that people expect our government and expect our country and expect others to give them happiness and make them happy. That's called a sense of entitlement. May I say that it seems to me in the Christian church, in the house of God today, that many believers, if not careful, find themselves in the same position, expecting God to provide them happiness, demanding that the pastor, that the leadership, that the church meet their every need. I'm telling you that if we're not careful, we're looking to our husbands, our wives, our children, our families. We're looking to our health care programs. We're looking to our 401ks. We're looking to our jobs. We're looking to our bosses. We're looking to our culture. We're looking to our society. We're looking to our, 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 our government. We're looking to somebody, somebody, anything to do somehow to meet our needs or to provide for us. And may I say, until we realize that those kings are dead, Till they die in our lives, we'll not see him high and lifted up. As long as something else is lifted up, he will not be seen. It's not until that which is king in your life dies that you'll see God high and lifted up. 
It's a prerequisite. It's a necessity. What is most valuable to you? What is most precious to you? See, we look out on life with a horizontal view. We look at life this way. Horizontal. Our vision is focused horizontally. I look out and I see what's next. I, I, I'm worried about next day, next week, next month. It's horizontal. Stretches out this way. And as a result of that, those things that are in front of us are what we ultimately depend upon. God would have us look vertically. He wants us to look vertically. And that points us, that points our focus upward. Instead of it being outward, it's upward now. And that's what God wants for us. See, King Uzziah could represent raging pride in your life. Maybe there's pride in your life. And that pride focuses you horizontally. It stands before you and it's what you see and it's, you're, 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 you're moved by your pride. Your decisions are made by your pride. You're, you're focused in your outlook based upon your own pride, your own arrogance, yourself. You don't see up, you see out. Could it be that King Uzziah, in a sense, would represent unrestrained desires? It's until those unrestrained desires in your life die that you'll finally look up. Because until then, you keep looking horizontally. You look to them to meet the need. You look to them to provide you with satisfaction. You look to those unrestrained desires. What about unquenchable ambition? I've got to arrive. I've got to obtain. I I want to succeed. Maybe, unfortunately, success is your God. Maybe you're looking horizontally and all you see is the success. The drive for success, it's what you focus on. Maybe it needs to die. And until it does, you'll not see him high and lifted up. Could it be the love of materialism? Maybe comfort, ease, security, pleasure, power, possessions. What is your king? Because whatever your king is, it's going to, unless it's Jesus Christ, it's going to keep you from looking up. You're going to only look out horizontally. And God is about vertical view. The passage says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. It wasn't until King Uzziah died that Isaiah could finally see God high and lifted up. What is it that's keeping you from seeing him high and lifted up? Not only do we see, number one, focus on him, but identify his person. You know, it's a hard thing to to focus on God if we don't really believe he's the God that he says he is. See, you need to spend time finding the God of the Bible, and so do I. You know, we need to define him according to his attributes and his characteristics. Don't allow your preconceived notions of who and what God is to define and determine who and what God is. 
Oh, I grew up in a, a godly household. My mom and daddy were Christians. I, I grew up around church, and I grew up around people in church. I know a little bit about this thing. I know what, who, who God is. I know what God's all about. Really? Do you? Do you? My, 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 my advice to you is this. Get the facts. And you know how you get the facts? You get in his word. You know what? You, know, you don't know any more about God than I do outside of this book. You can create any God you choose. Do you, do you, you want to know what really, you know, you know what a God of your making is called in the Bible? An idol. That's called an abomination to God. Spend time finding the God of the Bible. See, the fact of God's existence is so clear. It's clear in creation. It's clear in man's conscience to the point that God, he even calls atheists fools. That's how clear his existence is. That the God of heaven who created all mankind and loved us enough to die for us, all of us, not just the elect, calls those who do not believe in his existence fools. You know, as a result of that, do you realize that the Bible never attempts to prove the existence of God? No way. You're not going to find that. Oh, I want to prove the existence of God. doesn't happen. Because, see, it assumes that he exists from the very beginning. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. That's where the Bible begins. And so what the Bible really does is it reveals the nature of God. It reveals the character of God. It even reveals the work of God. And you say, well, I know who God is, and I know what God wants, and I know what he wants me to do. How much are you in this book? Don't tell me you know all of that and you haven't been in your Bible in the last week, last month, last year. Thinking correctly about God is the most important thing. Because again, a false idea or a false picture of God is idolatry. You know, people run around, well, God's going to forgive me at the judgment. How, why do you believe you'll get into heaven? Because God's a God of love. Why do you think you'll not go? Why? Well, God would never send anybody to hell. You want to know why? Because the God they're serving isn't the God of the Bible. They're serving an idol of their own making. They've determined, they've defined who God is, not allowed God to define who he is. Where in the Bible does it say that people will not be sent to hell? And someone says, well, God never sends anyone to hell. They choose to go there. I get it. But he did create hell for the devil and his angels. And because a person rejects the, the wonderful blood of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice of Calvary, they will spend an eternity there. And you say, well, God would never do that to one of his creation. That's because you've created an idol. Not, a, not the God of the Bible, defined by the Bible. Not facts. Simply feelings. It's interesting in Psalm chapter 50, verse 21. Turn there, would you please? Psalm chapter 50, verse 21. 
The Bible says simply this. God, in this particular passage, God is reproving a wicked man. Notice what he says to him in Psalm 50, 21. These things hast thou done. Psalm 50, verse 21. These things hast thou done and kept silent. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such as one as thyself. But I will reprove thee and set thee in, them in order before thine eyes. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such as one as thyself. What's he saying? You thought I was just like you. You somehow came to the conclusion that I thought like you, that I acted like you, that I, that I, I had the outlook that you have. You, you misinterpreted who and what I'm all about. You brought me down to your level. You made me like you. See, you say, I understand sin. I say, I hate sin. I didn't say we understand why people sin. We do. We get it sometimes. Sometimes I look and say with, with a, a heart of, of, of a broken heart, say, man, I can understand why they would have done that or said that. But I have to be careful because, see, I'm not God. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. God defines what is right and wrong. You better be careful. See, before you assume you know what God's thinking and how he feels, you better find out from the word of God what he thinks and what he feels. Otherwise, it is an idol that you are serving. And Master, you don't get to heaven serving idols. You don't get saved by receiving an idol. You get saved by receiving the Savior, Jesus Christ. We could summarize by saying this. God is, quote, the supreme being. He's the creator and ruler of all that is. He is self-existent. He is perfect in power. He's perfect in goodness and he's perfect in wisdom. You say, who is God then? What is nature? The Bible describes his nature. And it is only by God's mercy that he even that he even shares or reveals his nature to us. See, God's a spirit, isn't he? God is one. But he exists in three persons. We know that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God is infinite. God is incomparable. He is unchanging. God exists everywhere, knows everything, and has all power and authority. God is just, he is loving, he is truthful, and he is holy. You know, God shows compassion, and he extends mercy, and he gives grace. He judges sin, but he does offer forgiveness, amen? Say, I, I want to see God high and lifted up. Well, let me say then, you better kill that king in your life. You better take down the king that exists that forces you onto a horizontal plane. You'll never see him high and lifted up till you destroy the king in your life. And then, identify his person. Know who it is you're looking at. Know who he is, what he's all about. Not the God of your making, but the God that made all things. And finally, 
enter his presence. Enter his presence. If you're going to see God high and lifted up, you have to focus on him. You have to identify his person, and then you have to enter his presence. You know, it's not enough to know about God. You've got to get to know him. It's not enough to just know about him. You go to Sunday school your whole life, you get to know about God. You hear things, but you don't really know him. How many people have gone to Sunday school their whole life? How many have heard the word of God? Listened to the word of God, even maybe memorized portions of the scriptures. But the scripture's not in them. You've got to enter his presence. In Psalm chapter 143, verse 6, would you turn there, please? Psalm 143, verse 6. Here we have a man of God. Look at his attitude. Look at his heart toward the Lord. It says in Psalm 143, verse 6, I stretch forth my hands unto thee. My soul thirsteth after thee as a thirsty land. Do you know, we thirst after our phones more than God mostly. We thirst after our Facebook and our social media more than we do God. You know, we thirst after our pleasures and our comforts. We thirst after our televisions. We thirst after our relationships with others. We thirst after money and possessions, comfort and ease. Some are more concerned about taking a vacation than they are about getting with God. If I can only have that vacation, then, then everything will be better. Well, Lord, God's playing to that. Can I tell you, it was harder for me to stay right with God on vacation than it was here. It was out of my routine. And I like my routines. You get out of your routine, it's harder. It's more difficult to stay consistent. I didn't say I neglected it. I just said that it was harder. I'm just saying here in this passage, this psalm psalm writer here, he says, I stretch forth my hands unto thee. My soul thirsteth after thee. You ever been really thirsty? Been on a hike or a bike ride? Been playing ball or doing something strenuous and it's hot and you feel drained and you're your mouth is parched. And you thirst for something. You want something to drink bad. Some want water. Some want Mountain Dew. <laughs> but they want something. They are just, I mean, they are thirsty. And in this case, we have the picture of a barren land. A desert, if you will. Parched. No rain. No moisture. Begging and crying out, please rain. And God's saying that ought to be our attitude toward Him. A desire to get into His presence. 
In Psalm chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, the psalmist says, Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For unto thee will I pray. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and I will look up. I will look up. You say, how do you see God high and lifted up? Well, you got to get in his presence. Have you been in his presence? I'm not just talking about if you said you're, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I'm talking about if you spent some time with God. I mean in his presence. Not just saying a rote prayer, not just sitting down for dinner and saying, Lord, bless the food we need you. Thank you. Amen. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I get hungry enough. I make it as short as possible. I'm not opposed to that. Don't misunderstand where I'm going with this. I'm just saying the presence of God. If you're going to see him high and lifted up, then there's a couple of things we've got to do. We have to do. We must do. We have to focus on him, which means we're going to have to clear out the idols. We're going to have to get rid of the kings in our life. We've got to quit looking horizontally. We've got to start focusing vertically. Kill the kings in your life. Destroy the kings. Those things that keep you from seeing him. Then identify his person. Make sure you're looking at the right one. Those angels said, holy, holy, holy. When's the last time you really thought about how holy God was? That'll play a big factor here in the, in the coming verses. Because Isaiah is going to see himself differently because of the God that he now sees. And finally, we said, enter his presence. I want to encourage you to enter his presence. I, I, as believers, you know, and probably in our crowd, a lot of us know Christ. How's that portion of your life right now? We're entering into summer, and honestly, as I said, summer takes on new characteristics. It it changes life because now we have so much more daylight. I don't know about you, but I go from morning till night. I love it when it's light out, but I find myself absolutely staying outside, doing something all the way till dark every single day when it's light out. You know, know, in the winter, you know, you come on in, and if there's a, a show or something you taped or something you like, you sit down. You don't feel guilty, you know. You sit down, you watch a show real quick. You don't mind, right, because it's dark out. What are you going to do? It's freezing out? Man, it's sunny outside, or it's cloudy in Akron. Or, or, but it's, it's warm, and, and, and it's light out, and you think, man, I'm not going to go inside. I, I, there's so much I could be doing, I, even if I just sit out on the porch. If I just, you get where I'm going with that. Tell you what, it'll upset your schedule. It'll change things. If you're not careful, you can forget to enter his presence. Boy, if you want to see him high and lifted up, you've got to get in his presence. Maybe you need to make a commitment to a time and a place to get in his presence every day this summer. Your schedule's going to change this summer, maybe. Make a commitment to a time and a place now and follow through. Maybe you've never really met the Lord Jesus Christ. You know about him, but you've never met him personally. He's the one who died for you on Calvary. He's the one that loved you so much that he came, sacrificed his all for you. 
He's the one that permitted his creation because of your sin to pluck his beard out, to put a crown of thorns on his head, to whip his back, to beat him till he was unrecognizable, to ultimately drive nails in his hands and his feet and place him on a cross hanging between heaven and earth naked where he would die. Bearing the sin of the world, your sin and mine. Because there's no way we could ever pay for our own sin. He did all that for you because he loves you. And what you owe him is honor. Someone says, well, will you trust Christ? You really, you know what? You know why people die and go to hell for not trusting him? Because that's what we, that's what he demands and what he deserves of us. After the price he paid, we owe him that. To fall on our knees and humbly accept and receive him and trust him and to give ourselves to him. You're without Christ today. I want you to know he loved you enough to die for you because he wants more for you than you even know you want for yourself yet. There's a better life ahead. And it's not just even just this life. It's the next to come. Don't throw away eternity over the temporal. Give yourself to Christ. Allow him in your life. Call him Lord. You will never regret it. Father, we come to you.